Dan Bongino. All the Sanders supporters love throwing bombs at me, and I throw them right back. I'm not here to pull any punches, right? The Dan Bongino Show. This is the great irony of conservatism. Even liberals win under conservatism. Get ready to hear the truth about America. Are you suggesting you're that stupid that other people can run your lives better than you can, even though the cost and quality of what they buy, quote, for you doesn't even matter to them? On a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right. Welcome to the Renegade Republican with Dan Bongino. Producer Joe, how are you today? It's Friday, Dan. Oh, let's go. Yeah, man. I know. I love Friday. Yeah. Hey, uh, today's show brought to you by our buddies at My Patriot Supply. Uh, thank you to everyone who purchased their one-month emergency supply of food. You know, I know we live in the most prosperous country on Earth. It sounds crazy. Why would I need an emergency supply of food? Well, folks, you never know uh, what could happen. I spent my entire life in law enforcement worried about preparedness. We did a lot of things in the Secret Service. Didn't make a lot of sense. We used to have these small little bulletproof things that we would hide in the car doors for, uh, for, for, for uh, you could put, like slide them in your pockets. And I'd be like, well, what the hell do we need those for? <laughs> I mean, if the bullets start flying, you go, hey, put this in your pocket. It's, but we did it because better to have it not need it joe than need it and not have it you never know get your one month emergency supply of food we ensure everything in our lives that matters matter of fact pick up a couple boxes that one month emergency supply of food for my patriot supply is only for one person so protect your family go pick it up today go to preparewithdan.com that's preparewithdan.com and for 99 dollars they'll send you a one month emergency supply of food breakfast lunch and dinner all you need is water to prepare it it's uh, good for 25 years so go pick it up today ensure your food supply do the right thing for you and your family go to preparewithdan.com all right again tremendous breaking news yesterday the republican party blows it again yes again (laughs) for the umpteenth thousandth time uh it's just uh, what's the what's the point i just got an email I don't even know if this guy is comfortable with me sharing, so I'm not going to say who it was or where, where I got it from, but a guy who I know from another guy who rolls with a bunch of guys I roll with in a group <laughs> of guys and ladies, if, if I could be any more vague, but he's very smart, and he just sent an email to this group of human beings who meet with other human beings who share human being issues. And in the email, he said, I I suggest a new motto for the Republican Party. You know, we did the contest for the new Democrat slogan. And uh, congratulations to our our winner on that one. I sent the book out last week. Should be getting it. He said the new Republican Party motto should be Republicans when rhetoric means more than results. And I'm like, I love it. That's it. That's the new Republican Party motto. R's everywhere. Republicans rhetoric, not results. I love that. That's the greatest thing. I bring this up in context of today's show, not to repeat again yesterday's show, but the show, you know, there isn't a a, a pervasive narrative through the last two years of Joe and I's content. Um, One of them has been the futility of the Republican Party. And to be fair, I have never suggested, you know, to give you a, I don't want to sound hypocritical. In the past, I was vociferously against the idea of a third party for a number of reasons I described yesterday. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yesterday, I told you why I am evolving, to use the Obama term on the topic, because the Republican Party is totally useless. Ideologically speaking, Joe, there is no Republican Party. Yeah. It's gone. And based on the feedback, if I had to rank the feedback on shows, number one was the death penalty show by far. Mm -hmm. Based on emails, tweets, and Facebook, the death penalty show, I've never gotten more emails in my life. I probably got 500 emails, Facebook messages, and tweets on the death penalty show. Net neutrality is a close second. Got a nice email yesterday from a listener uh, explaining to me some different components of it. He he thought I may have missed a very nice email, but I, I disagree with his conclusion. But still, thank you for the email. He knows who he is. 
Uh, but I have to tell you, yesterday's show, now I, I'm, I'm convinced, is going to take the cake for emails and communications about the third party. I got really? probably 150 emails yesterday alone wow. on the third party thing. Folks, it's time. Uh, the reason being, and I'm going to discuss one email I got in a second, but reason being, we, there is no ideological Republican Party anymore. If the purpose of a party system, Joe... Mm-hmm is to make decisions simpler for voters who will never get to know candidates personally, then the system has completely failed. There is no purpose. Now, let me explain what I just said, because I know you're probably like, what the hell does that mean? Can we both agree, Joe, that you, Joe, very few people know me as well as Joe. Hmm. I've been involved with Joe for a very long time. I've known Joe a long time. Um, but can we at least agree, Joe, that even you, I don't, I don't have a lot of friends, and I, right. I don't say that as like a personal insult. I just don't have a lot of time. I mean, I have about two or three close friends and that's it. Yeah. But can we both agree, Joe, that even though you know me better than 99.99% of the population, even you don't know everything about me. Like every day we talk about something, Joe will be like, I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, right? Sure. And you, and the same way with you. You don't same, right. same with me. I don't ask Joe every personal detail. I know about little Joe. Right. I know about some things going on in his life. But, you know, Joe, I've even shared some medical secrets with Joe with me. I'm like, mm-hmm. he's like, really, man, you're really falling apart. <laughs> but we don't know each other as well as say a spouse would or a parent. The right. reason I bring this up is the whole purpose to a political party, Joe, is that when you go into the voting booth and you vote for a candidate, Joe Smith or whatever it may be, what's helping you in the booth is the R or the D or the libertarian L label in front of people. You can ascribe to them a certain set of values that you think would align with your thinking, correct? Agreed. Because you don't know Joe Smith. I don't know Joe. I've never met Joe. You may have shaken his hand at a at a uh, a county fair or at a parade when he's running for Congress or president or whatever it may be. But you don't know Joe Smith. Putting the Republican brand in front of his name says to you, this guy stands for X. Mm-hmm. So th- can we both agree, Joe? That's the purpose of a party Seems outside of. Outside of the technicalities we discussed yesterday, ballot access, money, voter yeah. list. I'm not talking about the technical. I'm talking about strictly, forget the technical side for a moment. We're talking strictly the ideological side. It is a way to discriminate amongst candidates. I don't mean that in a, in a negative way, but to discriminate amongst candidates that you will never meet personally and get an idea of what they stand for. Right? right. Pretty easy. Right. So if the Republican brand says Joe Smith stands for X, the question we should all be asking, folks is what the hell does X mean? (laughs) Okay. What you would think X means, what the Republican Party was supposed to stand for, was patient-centered healthcare, healthcare freedom, healthcare liberty, supposed to stand for economic freedom, economic liberty through tax rate cuts, not necessarily tax revenue cuts. Those regular listeners know the difference. Mm -hmm. Supposed to stand for freedom and education, school choice, charters, religious freedom, uh, defense of life, defense of the Second Amendment, defense of federalism, defense of constitutional values, defense of a limited government bureaucracy. These are all things that vote for candidate Joe Smith. Candidate Joe Smith is a Republican. Republican means he stands for X. That's what X means. Right. The problem, folks, is X doesn't mean that anymore. Healthcare went down. Again, they couldn't even pull off the skinny repeal last night. And for those of you who missed it, I should, probably should have started with this, but we failed on a pure uh, a Obamacare appeal. Right. The Republican Senate, Murkowski, Collins, uh, Susan Collins uh, passed on it. We had, uh, was it seven Republican Senate mm-hmm. uh, turncoats who just voted straight on a repeal of Obamacare. In other words, do you want to repeal Obamacare? No, I don't. 
Seven Republican turncoats. Now, last night, they said, all right, let's not even vote on a pure repeal, Joe. Let's vote on what they're calling skinny repeal. It wasn't even one. It was a crap bill. Let me be absolutely clear on this. But the idea of the skinny repeal, so you all know what happened last night, was to just get something on the books, a vote, Joe, in the affirmative, to get, quote, skinny repeal into conference with the House for a better bill later. I'm not suggesting it was a good idea. I'm just saying it was something at this point. Skinny repeal sucked because here's what skinny repeal would have done. It repealed the individual mandate. It repealed the employer mandate for Obamacare. In other words, it repealed the penalty for you not having health care. Mm-hmm. It also repealed the penalty for employers uh, with 50 more employees not providing Obamacare compliant plans. And it also repealed the medical device tax. That's what skinny repeal was. But it left the rest of Obamacare in place. That was a disaster. But the point of the bill was they were and I'm not I think it was a bad idea. But what they were trying to do, Joe, was not pass skinny repeal to make it law. They were trying to pass it through the Senate to get some bill back into the House for conference where in conference they could fix it and produce something better. I th- again, a crap strategy. I preferred straight repeal. But Joe, they couldn't even do that. They couldn't even do that. They needed 50 senators to vote for it because Mike Pence, the vice president, would have broken the tie. Right. So Collins, who's Susan Collins, by the way, if you're in Maine, listen, this isn't personal. Don't know the woman. I can't say that enough. I'm sure, she's great. Terrific. Susan Collins is bar none one of the worst Republican senators in the history of the Republic. If you were in Maine... And you are a Democrat, don't vote for Susan Collins because she's just not principled. And if you're a Republican, don't vote for Susan Collins because she's not a Republican. There is no purpose to having Susan Collins in the Senate as a Republican whatsoever. None. If you like her personally, vote for her as an independent. But Susan Collins on a ballot with an R in front of her name, Joe, which you and I both agree is supposed to stand for X, right? That's right. She, there's no X. Susan Collins has nothing to do with the Republican Party at all. She serves no purpose in the Senate. For us. She serves her own purpose, but not in Republican values at all. Lisa Murkowski from Alaska is the same thing. Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, I I have, I, I don't have, I really don't have a lot of respect for her. Again, I don't know her personally, but what she did with Joe Miller was a disgrace. She lost the Republican primary, for those of you that forgot this, to Joe Miller years ago because she's terrible. And then went and ran as an independent and wound up winning the seat back in an open election after she lost the Republican primary. Murkowski's an embarrassment to the United States Senate, too. I, I, I see no reason for you to vote or support her either. I wouldn't give her a dime. I would knock on a door for her. Um, I'm staying away from McCain. You know, I, I know I'll probably get negative feedback on it, but, you know, the guy's got brain cancer for now. I'm just I'm staying away from that. You guys can deal with that on your own. I just don't think it's appropriate. Again, my apologies. I know. You know, he's taking votes that are going to hurt us. There's no question. But Mm -hmm. I just don't think it's appropriate to hammer him right now. Um, But the other the others we had a Dean Heller from Nevada, uh, just a waste of time. Uh, Dean Heller, another so-called pseudo Republican. It's a waste of time. So, again, I don't see a point to not developing a third party. Now, I did get some email feedback and the email feedback I got. There were a couple recurrent issues that came up. One of them was uh, someone said, you need to adequately address the splitting the vote thing. You're totally correct. When I say a third party, I don't mean a third party across the country that should run a candidate in every single district because there will be a problem with splitting the vote, especially in Senate races and congressional races. Mm -hmm. I think the third party should start with Donald Trump. He should try to recruit figures with big followings and big names as well, like Lee, Paul and Cruz, because they don't share anything in common with the Republicans either. You know why, Joe? 
Senators Mike Lee, Rand Paul, and Ted Cruz actually subscribe to traditional Republican values, which are X, and no one, very few people represent anymore. So they should leave too. But there will be a vote splitting problem, especially in some congressional districts. If you run a Republican, say, I don't know what the new party would be, party X and a Democrat, because traditional Republicans will be, the vote will be split. And say the Democrats are 40% of the district, they'll come out of it with a plurality. So it wouldn't be appropriate for every district. But in a national election with Trump on a ballot running under party X and not the Republican banner and people with big name ID, Ted Cruz, um, Mike Lee, you know, Rand Paul, mm-hmm. People with big name ID and those select races, there's a decent possibility they would scare off a Republican challenger realizing they had no chance. And Republicans would, I I think the majority of the overwhelming majority of Republicans in those districts would be would not vote for a Republican, would vote for Lee Cruz and uh, and uh, and Rand Paul instead. And I think that would scare off a Republican from running someone on the ballot would prevent a lot of vote splitting. I know that sounds a little complicated, but I know on the national level, I think the effect from pulling away from the Republican Party and the negative branding that it's done to itself, Joe, because it can't do anything right, right, would actually suck in more Democrats and moderates to make up for the, say, establishment Republicans that would vote for an establishment Republican rather than a mm-hmm. third party guy. I think the math works in our favor. If, if, this is the big if, if you have someone running with big enough name ID, big enough conservative bona fides, and a big enough audience that they can make the third party matter. Right. And no, that's the Mike Lees, Rand Paul's, Ted Cruz's, and Donald Trump's. That's it. The, but I, I agree. Anyone else, you run, you know, Joey Bag of Donuts in Congressional District 472, you know, in Wisconsin. I, I know there's no, I get the point. I'm just trying to be funny here, which is probably not working. But then, yes, you're going to have a problem. Because someone's going to go in there and just vote for the Republican because that's what they know. And they're going to be like, I never heard of Joey Bag of Donuts in Wisconsin. You're going to have some vote splitting. So we do have a problem there. Um, secondly, the idea of term limits came up. You know, I don't discuss this much on the, much on the show, but mm-hmm. uh, this is a topic I'm not going to beat it to death. But someone said, you know, third party's great, but we need it, in, it. We need it in conjunction with term limits. Now, I I know I'm going to get some negative feedback on this, but I'm always honest with you folks, and I do deeply appreciate your emails, especially the net neutrality ones that are really detailed. I read them. Sometimes people say things, and I go, "Wow, that makes a lot of sense." And I may not change my position completely, but I look at things different. So I'm just asking you very respectfully that I know people are, a lot of people passionately believe in term limits. I get that. I'm with the utmost respect asking you to just open your mind for a second and listen to what I'm going to say, because I felt the same way. And I've been, to be candid, I've been back and forth on this issue over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And it's because I keep learning and reading new stuff. It's not that I'm wishy-washy. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. I myself have, I myself, I, of course I myself, I have <laughs> had some, I've, if, you know, quote, quote Obama, evolved a little bit on the issue as well because I do a lot of homework. When I was running for office, term limits would come up a lot. And at first, my default response was term limits would be great. And just to be clear, I'm bringing this up because I got a ton of email on it. Oh, we need term limits too. Folks, I'm not convinced term limits are a great idea. Now you're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. You, you always talk about the D.C. swamp and the establishmentarians. And your, I, my book was called Life Inside the Bubble. And it was not, bubble was not a complimentary term. I totally get it. The problem is, is I really dug into content on, you know, Heritage Foundation, Cato. They have a ton of work on this. I mean, you know, maybe I'll put a good article in the show notes today. I'll, I'll go dig one up because there's, there's legions of them out there. 
Folks, the problem with term limits is if we're conservatives and we believe in facts and data, there should be some facts and data to back up the fact that term limits actually help lead to measurable metrics. Does that make sense, Joe? Like if, if term limits were supposed to do what we say they're going to do, right. lead to better politicians, right, Joe? Yeah. Therefore, better politicians will lead to better legislative outcomes. Those better legislative outcomes are X. Let's say X is uh, states with term limits have uh, more balanced budgets, have lower taxes, have a better economic environment. Mm-hmm. The problem is, Joe, that's not the case. Mm. When you look up the data on term limits, and forgive me for not quite, I know I use it, but I have so much to get to today. It's like 10 stories I have. I didn't have the chance to find this, and I will get something in the show notes. Uh, maybe I'll put it up on the debunk this uh, section of the website as well. When you look at state spending, when you look at the economic environment of the states, you find that states with term limits, it really doesn't make a difference. So that's problem number one. And one of the reasons we, the, they have a problem with term limits, and again, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm, I, I'm not, com- I'm not hard on this. I'm not. I, I'm, I'm looking. I, you could present to me different data. I am open to it. I want to be crystal clear on that. But the data I've seen is not particularly good. Now, one of the reasons that's suspected that term limits don't stop people from the idea with term limits is you'll get, again, Joe, better politicians who will make better, poli, uh, better political decisions because they're not incentivized to spend a lifetime in politics. Yeah. The problem is they do because what happens? You say, well, how's that if they're term limited? Because offices are term limited, not people. Folks, never forget that. Offices are term limited, not people. In other words, if Joe Armacost were to run for the House of Delegates in the House of Delegates in the state of Maryland, mm-hmm. and Joe's term limited to two to two terms. So they're four-year terms. So Joe can be a delegate in Maryland for eight years. Okay, Joe's term limited. Great. We get a new guy. Well, what's the problem? What does Joe do next? Oh, then he runs for register wills in Anne Arundel County. Yeah. Oh, okay. So now he's got 12 years in. Oh, but he's term limited, let's say, to one term. Oh, now we're definitely going to get him out. Okay, what does he do next? Now he runs for state senate. And he has, what does he have? Two more terms. So now he's in there, what, 20 years? Mm. I, wait, I, wait, I thought we were term limited. Yeah, yeah. The office is term limited, not the person. So that's what you get. You wind up getting people who are not really term limited. They're term limited in that office. And then what does he do after that? Then he runs for Congress. Then he spends eight years in Congress. Then he runs for the U.S. Senate. And what do you get, Joe? You get our good friend Ben Cardin in Maryland. Ben Cardin, who I ran against for the United States Senate in Maryland, has never actually had a a, a real prolonged job outside of politics. I think he was a lawyer for like 10 minutes. (laughs) Ben Cardin in his 20s won a seat in the House of Delegates in Maryland and has literally, not figuratively, been a politician since his 20s. I don't even know how old he is. 60? Mm, Around there. That's the whole point. I'm not sure term limits are going to help. Secondly, so we have to term limit people, You can, and that's constitutionally suspect. How do you term limit people? What do you, Joe, what do you say? You could do eight years as a politician? Mm. Good luck with passing constitutional muster for that. You've restricted their free speech and their ability to run for office because they already won an election? Mm-hmm. So let's say you get a guy who, who wins a Maryland state Senate seat. And who knows? Maybe he's, but I'll get to this in a second, or even better, relevant to, Today's conversation we're going to have in a second. Say you get a congressman in Maryland, he's term limited, and he wants to run for president. You tell him he can't? I mean, folks, that's a little constitutionally suspect, don't you think? Mm. Your voice can't be heard in a presidential debate. More on that in a second, by the way. 
I don't know. Secondly, outside of the fact that term limits don't term limit people, they only term limit offices, you have a bureaucracy problem. I read a report, gosh, three, four years ago. It was really opened my eyes on term limits. And they said, you know, one of the problems with term limits is even in specific offices that are term limited, say you have a state house of delegates seat. And let's say the terms are two years and they're, they're uh, term limited to two terms. So you can only do four years. Mm-hmm. One of the points made in the report show is that government is now, unfortunately, so complicated that by the time you get your sea legs under you as a new delegate in, in whatever, Maryland, mm-hmm. and you figure out how the process works, getting legislation moved, you're about two and a half to three years in. But if you're, say there were two year terms and you have two terms and you're out. So by the fourth year, you've now barely figured out what to do. And then you're gone. And then a new guy comes in. So you may say, well, what's the problem? Well, the problem with that, folks, is one of the research reports I read was that it tends to empower the bureaucracy. In other words, the people that stay behind, Joe, the chiefs of staff, the ledge directors, mm. the PR people, because why, why would you need them? You'd need them because every four years you're getting new people who don't know what the hell's going on. Right. So, so who runs the office, the House of Delegates office? The chief of staff. And that's what and, and what the, the report I read made a very crystal clear point on this that do you want term do you want people you can vote out of office in power or do you want bureaucrats you can't in power? Because right now, term limits in a lot of states are leading to a default response where the bureaucracy's in charge and now you can't get rid of these people. Because they're bureaucrats, they're not elected, Joe. Makes sense? That makes sense. Yeah, I never thought of that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, either had I, and that's yeah. why when I read it, I was like, wow, I got to dig this stuff up because it's, uh, you know, shame on me for coming on the air and talking about it. Um, but I have to do Levin tonight, too. And I just I wanted to fit that in because I got a lot, a lot of feedback on yesterday's show. All right. Just quickly touching on this other thing, because I, I mentioned it and alluded to it in my last conversation. So I, got, I saw some news yesterday, which uh, really kind of blew my mind once in a while on Twitter. I will go through and put my name in. It's not an ego thing. I, I know it sounds like you're searching your name on Twitter. Why do you care? For a lot of reasons related to the show and CRTV. I promise you it's got nothing to do with uh, most of the stuff that comes up there from liberals. By the way, it's nasty. It's not like uh, <laughs> it makes your day. Trust me, it doesn't make your day any better. And one of them yesterday was an article I saw. Um, Aaron Blake taking a shot at me. I, I think he was from the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I saw this and I was like, wow, the article was the guy I ran against uh, for Congress. <laughs> you heard, you know, the story yeah. shows in Maryland in 2014 is a representative by the name of John Delaney, obviously a Democrat. Uh, he's a very wealthy guy. So his net worth, I think they're underselling him. His net worth 92 million. I think it's a lot higher than that. Um, not that we had like oppo research digging through his financial records, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's a lot wealthier. But I saw Aaron Blake tweeted. You know, John Delaney is uh, thinking about running for president against Donald Trump in 2020, which is highly unusual coming from the House of Representatives, especially someone with such low name ID. And Blake tried to I think he was taking a pot shot at me. You know, if not, I'll apologize in advance. But I'm pretty sure knowing The Washington Post, that's what they were doing. He's like, that's what we need. A guy running for president who almost lost to Dan Bongino in a district Hillary won by 15 points. In other words, like, you know, I'm Hmm. I'm I'm a loser and an idiot, which is fine. It's The Washington Post. I don't expect him to be credible. You know, they don't they don't even care that 
Delaney beat the guy before me by 22 and the lady after me by 15. No one even bothers to ask how we beat him on election day and lost on the absentee. Nobody cares because they just don't like me, which is fine. That's, that's Seriously, it's fine. That's just the way it is. It's the Washington Post. It's full of idiots and you expect idiots to do dumb stuff. So what he was trying to do is take a shot at Delaney, but also take a shot at me. Get it, Joe? Yeah. Like, this guy's going to run. Dan Bongino almost beat him. <laughs> a twofer. Might, from a, yeah, a twofer. From a, exactly. From an idiot who's never run um, himself. But, you know, he writes for the Post so we can forgive him. But Delaney's talking about running, and this just parlays onto that last conversation, how you can run for Congress and then run for the presidency. You can do whatever you want. You're not term limited from switching offices. But he's, I'll just say this about Delaney, because I ran against him, and if he is the first, I don't think he's going to announce a presidential run today, supposedly going to announce, but if he is, and that creeps out that he's running for president, I'll tell you now, you heard it here first. Do not underestimate this guy. I know a lot of people were laughing yesterday on Twitter, like, oh, this congressman from Maryland, he's crazy. A lot of people underestimated this guy, including Rob Garagiola, who was a state senator in the state of Maryland, who was running for the Democratic Party nomination. Joe, remember him? He was the Elvis looking guy. Mm, no, he looks like a younger Joe Armacost. Oh, well, <laughs> no, Gar- but I don't remember him now. Garagiola was a big time up and coming state senator of the state of mm. Maryland. The whole Democratic Party machine was behind him to win the nomination for that seat in the 6th District that I ran in and Delaney mm-hmm. won. And Delaney frog stomped him mm. now you may say well it can't be that great of a candidate you almost beat him I'm, I'm not giving myself a backhanded compliment that was a very unique election and we did a lot of things differently yep. but you heard it here first man if this guy runs for president in 2020 be very careful he is a very kind of he portrays himself as he's a very pro-business democrat and he's a but he's a very likable guy so uh just be careful with that okay uh yesterday moving on I mentioned this story by Adam Klein. It was an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal, which was interesting. It was about, umbrella in umbrella terms, the NSA metadata program, Section 702, and really government spying. Mm-hmm. And it was a very interesting piece because Adam Klein, I don't know him, but it was, it was a well-written article. I'm not taking a pot shot at him. I just disagree with where some of his conclusions. The point he was trying to make in the piece is this Section 702 that allows for the accumulation of metadata on foreign sources, but also allows that database to be queried uh, warrant-free in some cases for Americans as well, he thinks this is an essential asset towards stopping terror attacks in the country, which may or may not be true. But the case he makes for it is very suspect. So just to be clear, where I'm, <clears throat> excuse me, where I'm starting with this show, mm-hmm. and I'm really simplifying this in the interest of time, and you can feel free to email me about it if you think I'm missing some details that are relevant, but there is a database that the NSA and our intelligence communities preserve that database is for, excuse me, foreign, I sound like Gary Delabate from the uh, Howard Stern show. He's always known for clearing his throat. Uh, the database is an accumulation of data of foreign sources, email, traffic, call records, foreign sources who have no constitutional protections. I want to be clear. I have no problem with that at all. If you are a, Joe, non-American citizen, number one, and you are outside of the country, and you email into the United States or call into the United States, you have no constitutional protections whatsoever. Dan Bongino has zero problem with that at all. Right. I love and respect the Constitution. The Constitution does not protect foreign citizens, not American citizens on foreign soil at all. Okay? Mm -hmm. It doesn't. American citizens on foreign soil, different. We're talking about foreign citizens on foreign soil. They have a database of information. So if you're a terrorist... uh, 
you know, Joey Bag of Donuts and you're overseas and you send an email into the United States and you are a citizen of Saudi Arabia or Yemen or Qatar, whatever it may be, there is a very good chance that email is in a database that the NSA and other intelligence agencies can query. Copy? Yep. The case Klein's trying to make is there is not a, right now, you don't need a PC warrant, a probable cause warrant to query that database in some cases where American citizens are on the receiving end of that traffic. So if Joey Bag of Donuts, the terrorist, God forbid, emails Joe Armacost, and let's say it's a mistake, there are cases where they can get that email or that traffic to Joe Armacost without a traditional probable cause warrant. Folks, I have a real problem with this. And Mm -hmm. let me just read to you. So I'm using his words, not mine, because I I don't want to, uh, screw up what he's saying. This is his piece from the Wall Street Journal. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, man, I'm like dying today. He says, privacy advocates argue that agencies could continue to run these searches as long as they obtain a warrant. That's how I feel. Right? He says, the problem is that the database checks are most useful at the early stages of an inquiry when officials are seeking to determine whether a person of interest has connections to terrorists. At that point, investigators rarely have gathered enough evidence to demonstrate probable cause. Hmm. For that reason, requiring a warrant will make these queries effectively impossible. Folks, that is a dangerous statement. Now, I took a few notes on this just to make sure I summed it up for you. He says a lot of times these database checks to, quote, determine whether a person of interest has connections to terrorists. Then he goes on to say that they rarely at that point have gathered enough evidence to demonstrate PC. Folks, the entire purpose of a constitutional republic with an established constitution that limits the power of government is to stop the government from searching people's private items without having developed probable cause of the commission of some kind of a crime. That's the whole point. I I read it yesterday and I really wanted to get to it yesterday because I was hot on it. And I thought, okay, Joe, Joe, I don't dispute... I'm not suggesting Klein is saying this, Mm -hmm. but I think some others are. I totally get that if you wanted to guarantee, I'm using air quotes here, but let me be very careful, guarantee security for U.S. citizens. Joe, we could establish a police state like North Korea. Yeah. We could wipe out constitutional protections. Mm -hmm. We could search everybody's email for keywords. We could listen in on everybody's phone calls. You know, we could put a chain link fence in the Atlantic Ocean somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, we could quote guarantee, which you know, I'm being sarcastic. You're never going to guarantee security. You get my point. It's a take on the Ben Franklin line. But folks, I get that. But that's not the country we live in. Yeah. Thank God. Wouldn't be America. No, it wouldn't be America. The country we live in guarantees that for the government to search some of these private items, they have to produce a warrant which establishes probable cause that a crime has been committed and the items you're searching, that the, those items may be in that house or may be in that email. That's the whole point. I, I mean, is it, this should not be a complicated point. I was really stunned by this. He says, well, you know, if we have to wait for a probable cause, we may never get these guys. What? Mm-hmm. Folks, uh, some people hate when I say, but I, I have to, I did this, okay, in a, in a prior line of work. I was not, you know, uh, MacGyver or TJ Hooker. I'm not trying to be like, uh, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just trying to say, I actually did this. 
There are ways to do this the right way. Now, the right way, Joe, and what I mean by the right way is by establishing probable cause, yes, is a little more complicated. Mm Mm-hmm. By going and querying the database based on probable cause rather than just typing in some keywords. Yes, it is more complicated. And yes, it is going to require a little more labor on the part of FBI agents and criminal investigators and counter-terror teams in the United States. But it's not impossible. And I wrote down just a couple of things. I wrote in capital letters. Joe, this is the whole point of investigations. (laughs) To establish the fact that we can't just randomly search American stuff. We do investigations to make sure, Joe, to make sure that the Americans' stuff we're searching are actually guilty of something or there's at least probable cause to believe so. Now, what can we do? Folks, this isn't complicated. We can do surveillance. I've been on surveillance exercises. (laughs) Matter of fact, I'll never forget being out with an FBI agent one time. We're in a car with tinted windows on surveillance. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't say this. Ah, what the hell? I love the guy. He was great, but he rolls down the window to start taking pictures with like a long lens camera. I'm like, dude, (laughs) what are you doing? He's going to see you taking pictures. He's like, you think? I'm like, bro, (laughs) bruh, bruh. Uh, You know, like the kids say, B-R-U-H, bruh. Are you kidding me? I was like a Beavis and Butthead moment. I was like, dude, roll the window up. I don't know if we're going to get a good picture. You're not going to get any picture because the guy sees you taking a picture of him. But he got off. Yeah, that actually happened. We can do surveillance. You got a guy who may be in the seven in the 702 database. He's an American citizen. He may have been emailing a terrorist. Let's go watch him. Oh, you have sources, Joe. Mm-hmm. The way we used to do it. You go into the community. You work your sources. We used to call it shaking the trees. You go in, you develop a few sources, guy in the community, hey, got something suspicious going on at this, you know, local community center. This guy's in there radicalizing people. I think you guys should give it a heads up there. Okay, great. Give the guy 50 bucks or whatever. You have sources. You have records checks. You have Title III wiretaps. You have, FISA has its own separate system, but. You have records checks, Joe. We find out Joey Bag of Donuts, U.S. citizen, might be involved in terror. All of a sudden, we get his credit card records. We get what used to be called Muds and Luds, his phone records. We see who he's calling. That, folks, it's, it's not impossible. It's just harder. Yeah. But the whole purpose of a limited government constitutional republic with an established constitution is things are supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be easy for the U.S. government to go and accumulate data on American citizens just because it's easier. I'm not knocking. I'm sure this guy is a very nice guy. I've never met him. But this paragraph I read to you is just when you read it, you're like, wait, I don't understand. Like the whole point of your thing is we shouldn't have to get PC because it's really hard. Folks, that. That, that throws out the entire principle of a limited government, uh, a, const- a constitution limiting our government. You, you know, as you're explaining this, I keep hearing this. It's only the metadata. We're, yeah, it's only the metadata, only which is everything. Yeah, I mean, they, they're keeping everything. And then the metadata, Joe, remember back in that when this... When you this, know what uh, I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, of course. In 1973, the Supreme Court case they're using to defend the accumulation of metadata was not about metadata. Mm. It was about phone records and pen yeah. registers and that kind of stuff. The metadata now is geolocated, <laughs> geotabs. You have all kinds of stuff in there that was never around in 1973. Yeah. Folks, we have to be very concerned. I mean, the thing that concerns me most, I'll be honest with you, is the power of big government. Mm-hmm. 
I have a lot of concerns, but big government scares me more than anything. All right, I'm going to motor through a couple quick stories I really thought were interesting too. But hey, have you signed up for CRTV yet? Um, please do. We have the best conservative content out there on the internet. You can watch it on your computer, CRTV. You can watch it on your smartphone. You can watch it on your tablet. We have Mark Levin's show. We have Stephen Crowder's show, Steve Dace's show, Michelle Malkin's show. Sometimes I even forget some stuff. We have uh, Nate Madden and uh, we have John over there doing the White House brief. There's a lot of great content on there. Go check it out. Go to CRTV.com. If you want $10 off, use promo code Bongino, B-O-N G-I-N-O for $10 off. Go check it out. It's the best conservative content on the web. CRTV.com. CRTV.com. Okay. Um, tax reform is picking up again, which is fascinating. Yeah. And, uh, I just quickly on that. Looks like that border adjusted tax is dead, which is a good thing. Now, you're going to hear some... The establishment crowd is losing their minds. The border adjustment tax, folks, just to be clear, was a tax on imports into the United States. It's simply stated, but that's really what it is. Um, I know a lot of you may say, well, that's great because we, you know, we don't want a lot of imports. We want to export a lot of stuff. Folks, that's not the way the global supply chain works anymore. It is not an XY equation, a black-white equation, or apples and oranges. Folks, exports are imports and imports are exports. There are vehicles made in Mexico that 60% of them are made in the United States. There are vehicles made in the United States where 60% of them are made in Mexico. There's a, a German company, you may have heard of it, that makes cars called BMW. Mm-hmm. Does it stand for Bavarian Motor Works? Right. They have a plant in Georgia. Folks, the global supply chain has been broken up that there are no traditional exports and imports anymore. There are products that go overseas, are finished, they come back, and then they're finished here. It, it, it was a silly idea. Now, I've already discussed this on past shows, but the border adjustable tax was a, t- a tax was a terrible idea. But now the establishment uh, establishmentarian crowd is losing their mind, collective minds, because they're saying, "Well, that border adjustable tax would have raised revenue, and that revenue would have allowed the tax cuts to be revenue neutral, which would allowed would have allowed them to be permanent, Joe, because they only would have need fifty votes." I know it's complicated. Mm. All you need to know is they needed to raise money to offset what they thought were the value of the tax cuts. Now, what's the problem with that if you're a regular listener? The problem I always have to bring up here, these are really dumb rules because income tax cuts and tax cuts in general, there's very little evidence to show over time that these tax cuts cost the government money at all. I read the article today. I was really upset about it because now apparently the uh, some people inside the Trump administration, I heard Steve Bannon's name come up, are, are looking at ways to, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it's, I'm just citing reports that are out there, that they're looking at ways to, quote, hike taxes on the rich to generate money to pay for a tax cut on the middle class. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you that may sound great in theory. It is a horrible, atrocious idea that will not benefit the economy one bit. So that you may see some feedback on the BAT, that border adjustable tax. Like, yeah, it fell, but you conservatives, now we got to pay for it somewhere else. You don't have to pay for tax cuts. Stop saying that. Know what the hell you're talking about. I got a little upset about that whole thing. And now they're talking about cutting the tax corporate tax rate to only 28% instead of a big drop, which is what we need of 15%. Mm-hmm. The big drop to 15% would help because 28% is the effective rate now. So the corporate tax rate is 35%, Joe, but the effective rate after the deductions is 28%. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to help a lot of companies because they said the 150 of the United States' biggest companies already pay 28%. So it's not a tax cut at all. We got to do something there. Get on your A game. All right. Uh, Another story I read, I don't want to hammer this Trump-Russia thing because I know a lot of people are tired of it, but it, this is important. I get it. A lot of you are fed up with it, but it's important you understand what's going on with this thing because a major, major 
portion of this is being left out of the mainstream media coverage. Kimberly Strassel is an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal today that is, uh, candidly speaking, damning for the Democrat Party. There's a big, you know, kind of who did it question going on in D.C. right now. And of course, you're not going to hear much about it, Joe. But, you know, Fusion GPS, the company that paid for the Trump dossier. Mm -hmm. Well, Fusion GPS is an oppo company, a research company that uh, put out the Trump, the infamous Trump dossier. Remember the dossier that he liked to golden showers? It was all stupid, discredited. It was nonsense. Everybody knows that. Well, now, all of a sudden, did you? I don't know if you noticed this, but the Congress had hearings scheduled where Paul Manafort, the former Donald Trump presidential campaign campaign manager, mm-hmm. and Donald Trump Jr., of course, the son of Trump, they were scheduled to speak in an open hearing up in Congress. And the Democrats loved this idea, Joe. They were going to have Donald Trump Jr. under the lights, mm-hmm. and they were going to grill him, and they were going to hammer him, and they were going to yeah. cover all this Russian speculation. Yeah. Hey, got him. Where'd that go? What happened? (laughs) Oh, all of a sudden it disappeared. All of a sudden there's been a huge collective Democratic retreat on Manafort and Trump Jr. And they're like, no, no, we don't need you on the TVs now. We can put you behind closed doors. What happened? What happened? Huh? Oh, oh, what happened is Charles Grassley on the Judiciary Committee, who was a Republican senator, they signed the letter and said, okay, we'll have those two testify, but we also want this guy Glenn Simpson to testify. Who's Glenn Simpson, you say? Glenn Simpson is the co-founder of Fusion GPS. And in the Grassley letter, he says, and we're going to ask this question to Glenn Simpson of Fusion GPS. Who paid you to produce the Trump dossier? All of a sudden, Joe, the hearing went away. And conveniently so, Joe, not one Democrat would sign the letter to Glenn Simpson asking him who paid for the infamous Trump dossier to be produced. Can't believe this. Of course you can't believe it. I mean, this is now why do you think that the, the hearing went away and the Democrats don't want Glenn Simpson to testify? Oh, maybe just maybe the whole Trump Russia thing is uh, as uh, Kim, Stras- Kim Strassel reports in the journal thing in the op-ed column. Maybe the whole Trump Russia thing's been backwards the entire time. Maybe it's the Democrats now have something to hide. And the Democrats, there's a theory out there that the DNC may have paid Fusion GPS, who may have collaborated with the Russians to develop a fake news dossier on Trump that they could then slip into the mainstream media. And all of a sudden, when the Democrats got wind of it, that that was going to get out, all of a sudden the hearing went away. See no evil, hear no evil. Again, you won't hear that story in the mainstream media anywhere. I'm telling you, credible, you may not like Kim Strassel, you may not like the Wall Street Journal. They tend to be moderate. I totally get it. I I happen to think Kim writes some really nice columns. But I'm telling you right now, she would not be reporting on this in a more than credible United States paper if there was not a source in the back end telling her, hey, there's a there there. Can you imagine if this whole time it was the Democrats working with the Russians through Fusion GPS to plant fake news stories on Donald Trump in the media? And that's the real story. Don't think for a second that there's not something there. Interesting. Hey, uh, one more quick thing and I'll go. Um, So I I did read a piece today about Al Gore, too. And it's just kind of funny. Al Gore has a sequel to that stupid climate movie and Inconvenient Truth coming out. And he just points out quickly that if the, you know, for the, all the Democrats who believe in, you know, global warming and all that stuff, he says, you know, it's fascinating in the original movie, he's producing a sequel to his already discredited first movie. Yeah. In the first movie, he predicted more tornadoes and eh, I'm lining them out as we go along. 
He predicted Mount Kilimanjaro's glacier would disappear. Eh. He also predicted ice-free Arctic summers by 2016. Eh. So Al Gore's first movie was a complete failure. But let's produce a second movie on top of the first movie and re- double down on the global warming that didn't happen after the first movie. Nice move, Al Gore. Cash your checks. Take our money. <laughs> Liberals will eat it up, I'm sure. But don't let facts get in the way of a great narrative. An inconvenient sequel. An inc- yeah. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Al Gore, an inconvenient sequel. That's perfect. All right, folks. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Thanks for a great week of uh, downloads and listens. Really appreciate it. I'll see you all next week. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.